Hello, this is Tim Conboy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. may be dismissed, right? Be gone, my friends. Oh, oh. Wow, that's quite a herd that went out of here. Uh, had a great day so far, amen? And look at last week, we would have just been starting. See, isn't this awesome? New time change is good, right? Yeah, we thought for sure the 8.30 service would have bailed to the 10.30, but they're like, nah, as well. And we could tell school's back in session because um, everybody's back from vacation. And this past past Sunday, it was just pretty close to 350 people total around. So that's, that's quite a group, eh, man? So, you know, a lot of times you, you look and say, boy, it seems like uh, no one's here. Well, it's called vacations. And I'm going on mine starting tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> now that you're all back, I'm leaving. But no, now we... My wife wasn't able to leave till after the 15th, so uh, work-wise. Although I do have to uh, see a neurologist tomorrow. I was like, oh. so I'm not sure what it's all about. I had to, you know, my vertigo and all that crazy manures that was happening. So they sent me for testing, and they stick all these things on your face, and you got to watch this light, and you got to, you know, it's like an hour and a half thing. And next thing you know, they said I got to go see a neurologist. He said. We picked up some abnormalities. They said, well, I didn't know it had anything to do with my looks. Come on. And then she goes, so, no big deal. I figured maybe the doctor's not saved, so I go witness to him. And uh, that's how you get out of the next doctor's appointment. You just share the gospel. They don't, if, they're not a believer, if they're a believer, they want to come back and talk more theology. If they're not, they're like, get out of here. Anyways. All right, we're going to be in Acts 13. We're going to giddy up today. We're going to be, Acts 13 is kind of a springboard. We're going back to the church at Antioch. Remember in chapter 11, they were in the city of Antioch. They actually left Jerusalem, went up to Antioch, and they were fleeing for their lives for the most part. <clears throat> but while they were there, they ended up leading people to the Lord. And I mean, the whole city got saved. And remember some of the um, historical events I shared with you a few weeks ago, uh, even how Helena the queen of uh, Abu Dhabi, she's a queen up there somewhere, how she ends up getting saved and her son gets saved and they end up helping the uh, believers that were going uh, during through the famine. And so a great revival has taken place in Antioch. Then they sent relief down to Jerusalem through Paul and Barnabas, chapter 12. And now Paul and Barnabas have headed back to Antioch, 300 miles north. So follow with me, starting in verse 1. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. So it's interesting that the Spirit of God points out these two offices, if you will, or two giftings. There was a great need for someone with the gift of teaching to teach these new believers. And there was also a great need for the prophetic, for someone not just to give them head knowledge, but to connect them with God. Listen, learning the Word of God is not knowing about God. It's about knowing God. You follow me on it? It's not knowing about God. It's knowing God. There's a lot of people that know about God that don't even know God. We need to be sure that we are ones that know God, not just know about God. So, certain prophets and teachers were ministering in the church. Barnabas, who we know. uh, Simeon, who is called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. uh, Manaean, who had been brought up with... Uh, Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. So every different background you can think of. Some were from North Africa. Some were raised in the uh, the Tetrarch, the governor's palace. And uh, some used to kill Christians for a living. That was Saul. So, I mean, you talk about a broad spectrum of people. They were all there in one verse. Now, verse 2, as they ministered. So it's like this goes hand in hand. As they ministered to the Lord 
and fasted. The implication is prayer and fasting. And as they fasted, the Holy Spirit said, because remember, prayer is implicated because prayer is speaking to God and God speaking to us. Communication. Verse 2, the Holy Spirit said, Now, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, notice, they sent them away. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Now, wait a minute. I thought verse 3 said that the church sent them away. But now verse 4 says the Holy Spirit sent them out. Well, which was it? Yes. <laughs> it's a cooperative effort. Amen? We're going to see that in a moment. So, they lay hands on them, send them out. Holy Spirit sends them out. They went to Seleucia, um, and from there sailed to Cyprus. That's the island, Mediterranean. And when they arrived at uh, Salamis, uh, they preached the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Uh, they also had John as their assistant. Now, as we come to our text here, my message this morning is the characteristics of a vibrant church. I'm going to call on your memory bank. Can you remember back a few weeks when we went over this topic? Components of a vibrant church? You go, wait a minute. Didn't we just do it? No. This is characteristics. This I'm talking about are components. And as we look at a vibrant church back in chapter 11, when the church at Antioch was first started, we noticed two primary components. And if you were to distill it down, you'd find these two components. Find God... And the people of God using their spiritual gifts equal a vibrant church. All right? So the two indispensable and I dare say codependent components are God and His people. Now, I know in your mind you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, you, you mentioned God in that sentence, and in the same sentence you meant codependent. They depended on each other. God doesn't depend on anybody. Amen? However, he created this thing known as the church body. They called out assembly, and he created it in such a way that the two components have to work together. He even calls us co-laborers with God. Isn't that pretty awesome? Being a co-laborer. Have you ever had a, a co-worker who didn't pull their weight? Okay, God says we are co-laborers, co-workers with him. Boy, sometimes I feel like I haven't pulled my weight, and i got a lot to pull. You ever felt that way? Say, man, isn't this, can't God be doing this? God can do anything and everything by definition, because He's God. Amen. But God says, that's not how I'm going to build the church. I need both components. You see, if you only have one component without the other component, you won't have the called out assembly. If there is no God, you have no power. If there is no God, you have no presence. If there is no God, you have really no reason to gather together. True? Because there is no God, then all you have is a social club. It's just a group of people meeting with no purpose. On the other side of the coin, if you have no people, then you have no ministry. Because God works through people to minister. And if you have no people, you have no kingdom expansion. Remember, that's what the entire book of Acts is about. It's about expanding the kingdom. It's about getting the third component of the three-component system to the kingdom. Now I'm talking about the kingdom, not the church here. The kingdom, the three components of a kingdom is a king, right? Land or territory, and also subjects or citizens of the kingdom. Correct? Do we have a king? What's his name? Yeah. Does Jesus have any territory? All of it. The whole ball, right? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all that dwell therein. Amen? <laughs> he goes, I own the whole ball that you're standing on or sitting on. He says, so this is all my territory. Matter of fact, I own the entire one sentence, the universe. I own all of this. The only thing that I lack right now in my kingdom, I have myself, I have the territory, I need citizens, and this is where you come in. You come in to collect the citizens, if you will. You see, God designed this church as a cooperative effort. And as a cooperative effort, He put us on one sole mission. 
And that sole mission is to tell the world the good news that Jesus died for their sins. And if they will put their faith in Jesus alone, He will forgive them of most of their sin. That's right. All of their sin. And for how long will it be forgiven? Forever. Forever forgiven. I love that, that combination. So if you put your faith in Christ, He will forgive you, release you from all your sin debt, and then He will make you a citizen in His kingdom. And then He takes you higher than a citizen, and He makes you a son and daughter of the Most High God. Amen? Yeah, baby. And then He takes His angels, and He says, Hey, you guys, you work for them. You are ministering spirits to them. That's pretty awesome. And it's like, I can't wait to ask the angel, go get me a cup of coffee, would you? No. I won't do that. I won't do that. I'll be good. But it's like, oh, what happened? Am I there? Wow, it just went off for a minute there. Maybe the Lord didn't like the joke. <laughs> enough, enough jokes. Now, the sole purpose of the church exists. Now, don't, don't not hear me. Don't misunderstand me. The sole purpose for the church's existence on earth is not to worship God. The sole purpose for the church's existence on earth is not to hang out with other believers. The sole purpose for the church's existence on earth is not to learn more about God. All of these things we could do in heaven. Right? All these things we will do in heaven. In heaven, we will worship God. In heaven, we will hang out with each other. You better get used to it, because we'll be a long time with each other. And in heaven, we will learn more about God for all eternity. But there's one reason why God did not save us and take us immediately to heaven, and that is because we have a mission to accomplish here. This is the sole purpose why God left His called out assembly on this earth. He gave it to us in Matthew 28. In verses 19 and 20, very familiar text. He's saying, I'm leaving, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Is that all nations? What about if the nation's Buddhist? Doesn't matter, make disciples of them. What about if they're Muslim? Doesn't matter, go make disciples of them. Uh, what about if it's a whole nation of atheists? Doesn't matter, go make disciples of them. He says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? And then he says in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, not heavenly, but lo, I'm with you always. A little play on words. Even unto the end of the age. Amen. So he says, here's your mission. He says, you are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So when we think of the characteristics of a church, we know the components. It's God plus His people using their gifts. And we know the characteristic, therefore, has to have a mission that we're going to accomplish if we're going to put our, this, see these characteristics. And if you were to boil down the mission to uh, Tim theology, it would look like this. It's to reach Him and teach Him and teach Him to reach Him. Pretty simple. I'm a simple guy. It's simply that. Go out there and reach them with the gospel. Get out there and seek the lost. Get out there and find citizens for my kingdom. And once you find them and they accept me as their Savior, then I want you to teach them all things. I want you to teach them whatever I've taught you. Reach them and then teach them. Does it stop there, Lord? No. Then I want you to teach them to go reach them. You see, this is cyclical. This is not, uh, well, I'm saved, now I'm in a church, now my whole purpose in life is to learn about God. No, it's not. Your whole purpose in life is to be saved, learn about the things that He's taught us in the Word of God, and then go find others to come into the kingdom that His house might be full. Amen? That's what He says. This is going to be our highways and hedgerow ministry. Go into highways and hedgerows and compel them to come in that my house might be full. But that is going to be a sermon in about three weeks, I think. Be praying. So, when it comes to our mission, the mission is very clear. Get out there and reach them. Now, there's four components, if you will, to this 
vibrant church. So we have, or not components, characteristics. We know the components, God and people. We know the mission, go reach souls, teach them to reach them, and, and then uh, expand the kingdom of God. But when I look at this church, I want to say, well, is there something that I need to learn concerning this church when it comes to how did they act? What did they do? See, I, I'm, I'm a do-it guy. I'm, I'm, I want to, what do you want me to do? That's why I was so insanely crazy, because I liked Paris Island boot camp for the Marines. I loved Paris Island. It was awesome. I wouldn't go there on vacation, but going to Marine Corps boot camp was great, because you knew what to do. They told you everything what to do, even how to brush your teeth, how to stand there. I won't go down to boot camp stuff. But the point is, I want to know, okay, what did they do? And one of the first things I noticed is that there was prayer saturation. In four verses that talk about the church in Antioch, these first four verses, two verses mention prayer. And when we come to this, we realize that this church was a church that fasted and prayed. Uh, I call it the upward focus. They had an upward focus. To me, this is the most essential characteristic of a vibrant church. Without this, all the others will be worthless. All the others will be clunky. All the others won't get done. All the others will uh, be twisted. This is the most essential characteristic. And this is how I define it. It's to focus on God so that we can hear Him when He speaks, just like in verse 2 when He spoke, that we will believe Him when He acts. Remember the previous chapter? They, he delivered Peter from prison and they didn't even believe it. They're in there praying. We're praying, but... And Rhoda's saying, oh, he's at the door. No, you're crazy. It's his spirit. God bless you. And the, so we have to believe him when he acts. We also need to realize that we need to worship him when we gather. So when we gather together, uh, when, when it comes to this prayer saturation, this spiritual connection, uh, we need to hear him when he speaks, believe him when he acts, worship him when we gather, and then follow him when he moves. And and I want to I wanna share... A little, I don't know if it, it's personal testimony, if you will. You know what? Back it up, baby. Let, let me go over the four components. I'll just go over them so you can look at them and then be daydreaming. All right. Prayer saturation, it's going to be an upward focus. Gospel communication is an outward focus. Spiritual maturation, that means maturity, is going to be an onward focus. You'll say that to the Hebrews. In uh, chapter 5, let us go on. Let's leave the rudiments of the gospel and go on. Let's leave the ABCs and grow spiritually. Spiritual maturation. And then there's body fortification. That's the inward focus, the ministry itself. Now, I want to tell you how all these came into existence. About a month and a half ago, I just felt like God was moving. I felt like God was trying to say something in me and through me and, and to our body. And, and one of our prayer warriors came to me, uh, and she set up an appointment. She said, Pastor, can I come in and talk to you? I said, sure. And, and so she came in, and she said, I was praying the other day for you, and loud and clear, the Lord gave me these words to tell you. And so that's why I'm here. I said, okay. That's usually about time you buckle up and say, okay, what, what can it be? And she said, and I, and I paraphrase, she said, God wants you to pull together and organize the church body in such a way that they are ready for spiritual warfare and moving and mobile. And I said, okay. Did he say how to do this? He goes, no. <laughs> he said, that's where you come in. So he goes, you're, you're supposed to organize it. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. Well, that's a heavy burden. I mean, it's, it, it's something that, you know, you're a pastor. You think, okay, this is what I've been doing. But no, this is a specific word. And, and she said, uh, you're to, to organize the body, pull it together, and, and, and look for his vision as he strengthens us and mobilizes us and helps us to be prepared for spiritual warfare. Two days later, another one of our members who walks in a prophetic game, and he said, i got to tell you about a dream I had, and I'll just tell you the short version. Essentially, I was laying on a platform. Jesus was, like, doing an operation with his finger where he just, like, cut my chest open, and all these um, strong, strengthening things came out. You know, it was kind of metaphorically speaking. 
but all these things came out of me that to strengthen the church body and prepare them for warfare and to be moving. And I thought, that's strange. That's like the second time in like two days. Now, I know some of you think, are you sure that was a prophetic dream and not indigestion or something? Just leave that to the others, you know? I take it for what it's worth. Someone comes and said, hey, this is what I feel God wants me to tell you. I take it like God wants me to tell you this. And so, is it interesting that, let's see, the, the first one was on a Tuesday, and the second one was on a Thursday. And then I was asked to go pray for somebody who was just moving in the area, pray for their house, and I went. And there was a, a person there that I met. And then the next week, we're helping this person move into their house. And while we're sitting there talking, I got a text. And it said, ask Pastor Tim if John 21 means anything to him. And do you remember a few weeks ago, I said, and it just so happened the next day I was in John 21. I don't know if you remember that. I remember it. It was like, wow, okay. So that's telling me that God's moving in this area with someone who doesn't even know me or what I'm preaching and gives me this verse. And then, matter of fact, even today, I came in and through the week, a letter apparently came in, it was on my desk. Today, I opened it up and I read it. And it was speaking about the same thing that God wants to pour out in my life and through my life and through our church, His power and His working and His ministry. And He's going to do some great things. And one of the verses that were thrown in there is a verse that I will also be referencing today. Like, huh, well, what do you know? Not coincidental. Amen? Amen? Amen. So I tell you all that because when I when I first had the first word, I said, all right, Lord, I, I don't know. how do I know how to organize your people? I feel like Moses has said, unless you, you teach me and show me. And, and so I was driving along and I was, I was actually heading towards Seymour that day for some reason. I'm going down the interstate and it was just like it just kept, just kept coming to me. Well, let me back up. I'm backing up, off the interstate. You know like when you're waking up in the morning and you're not quite awake, but you're not quite asleep, you know, you're kind of like in and out, you know, kind of like a church service, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> well, that's, I was, so I wasn't quite awake, but I, you know, I drift off, and the Lord kept pouring into my mind all these things uh, through the through the Scripture. He, he takes me into the Old Testament, into the tabernacle. He starts pouring into my mind about the tabernacle, about how He organized them in these four quadrants, and I think in quadrants. And and how, how He organized the tabernacle. And then He moves me forward into the temple. And it wasn't about the temple as much as the walls in Nehemiah's days that were broken down. And everybody had a responsibility to build that wall right in front of their house. Everyone had that responsibility. And he, He's pouring these things into my mind. And He's pouring images into my mind. And, he, and even uh, certain numbers. I wrote these numbers down. And, and so I wake up. And I mean, I just get a pad of paper. I'm just writing furiously. And... And so I had pages and pages of furious notes that I didn't know what to do with. And so I'm driving along. Now I'm back in the highway. I said, all right, Lord, what do I do with all this? What do I do with this? And that's where he laid out, I'm not smart enough to know all these parallel things, the prayer saturation and the gospel communication and the spiritual maturation and the body fortification. He said, this is what I'm showing you. This is how you organize it. This is how you put this together. And so, when all this started coming to me, I'm like, all right, Lord, so where do we go from here? And so this is why I take you through all that to take you on this journey uh, with me concerning, first of all, the tabernacle. Since I went, that was the first thing that God started showing me, it was concerning this tabernacle. And in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, God has Moses build a tabernacle, and he appoints two men, uh, Bel-Azel and, oh, I said them perfectly for service, Aholiab. I keep wanting to say Julio, but it's not. It's probably like Julio. (laughs) So verse 1 of chapter 36. And Bezael and Aholiab in every gifted artisan, in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, shall do according to all the Lord has commanded. This is what God told Moses. 
Then Moses called Bezael and Ahoyeliab, and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to work, to come and do the work. And so I'm looking at this text, and the Lord's saying, He said, Tim, I had Moses raise up two captains, two leaders of these teams, and then I put a group of people underneath them that were artisans. And I put it in their heart. They had a burden. They had a passion for this. And they had skills and understanding that I gave to them. What I find fascinating in uh, chapter 35 of Exodus, in verse 31, it'll say, and they were filled with the Spirit of God. I find it fascinating because this is the first time that I have found in, in the Scripture starting from Genesis where God actually says that He fills someone with the Spirit of God. And He was filling, not the priests, He was filling those who were contractors, those who were artists, those who were creative, those who could build this tabernacle. So they were Spirit-filled men that were not part of the priesthood, and these Spirit-filled artisans, men and women, that came together, and He says, I'm going to fill you with the Spirit of God that have a passion to do the work in the sanctuary. Now you would have thought everybody would have had a passion to do that, right? But no, this is a certain group that He called out, and He says, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to build this thing called a tabernacle. And the tabernacle is going to be in the center of the encampment. And the nation of Israel is going to encamp around them. Remember, there's 12 tribes in the nation of Israel. He then breaks the 12 tribes up into three tribes each. And he puts them in four quadrants all around the tabernacle. He puts the the tabernacle in the center. What's amazing about the tabernacle is it the scripture says it was made of fine linen, very fine linen. And the Shekinah glory, the glory, the light of God, would be in the tabernacle and shine forth out of this tabernacle. And there would be a cloud by day, and there would be a pillar of fire by night. But all around the encampment, all the people that were encamped around there, they did not li- live in linen tents. Their tents were made of of Middle Eastern goat skin, which is very dark, very black, if you will. And I said, man, isn't isn't that so such a picture there where here's people, all these dark tents, and here's God in His shining tent right in the middle. And all the tents were to face in towards the tabernacle. So every morning when they came out of their tent, the first thing they saw was God, and every night as they returned to the tent, the last thing they saw was God. God was the beginning of their day. God was the end of their day. Now, what I also found interesting, well, let's back up one, one slide there, Aim. In the, the altar there in the front, there are people ministering. These are the Levites. As I was praying over this tabernacle, I was saying, all right, what's, all right, Lord, I see the encampment. What does it have to do with organization? And the Lord reminded me that He said, I organized them in four different groups. And I put three tribes in each group. He said, and then I put my glory in the middle. However, this tent in the middle where God was at, he said, God says, this is a temporary dwelling place for my spirit. So these are things we learn about tabernacle. One, it was God was at the center of their encampment, just like here. Two, the encampment was surrounded by the people. Three, it was a temporary dwelling place of the Spirit of God. He will dwell not just here, you'll see Him later in the temple. Four, it was very mobile. Five, the tents were not comfortable or accommodating, if you will. So now you see the picture, God's in the center. They, first thing, every day, every night, God was always the center focus. Someone mentioned, whenever you go camping, you always have your campfire in the front entrance of your tent. So when you come out of your tent, the campfire is right there still. I said, huh, kind of interesting. It's usually not behind your tent. Usually face the fire. And so all their tents actually faced the fire of God, and they saw God, and they dwelt there. And their tents, however, were not very comfortable or accommodating. It's not like... I, I learned a new word yesterday. I saw it on a bumper sticker. It's called glamping. Anyone ever heard of Glamping. Oh, a few of you. I never heard of it. I said, what in the world's glamping? So my wife gets her phone. She goes, okay, Google, what is glamping? 
And glamping goes on to, to explain, or Google goes on to explain, that it is glamorous camping. In other words, you keep your microwave, you keep your, your cable TV, you keep, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a glamper! I'm like, I'm all for it. This was not glamping. Right? This was a desert. This was a tent. This was a sheepskin tent. And they were living in this tent for not a couple days, but for 40 years. Now, when it comes to this organization, if you will, back in the previous text, I was mentioning a picture of the Levites. The Lord said, wait a minute, Tim. Here's the whole encampment. But look, I went from a nation down to a tribe of Levi, down to a family within the tribe of Levi, down to a person named Aaron and the sons of Aaron. As a matter of fact, he is going to uh, speak concerning this in Leviticus, and I'm not, and I didn't bring the, uh, I didn't want to put all the verses out there to you, but he, but he will speak concerning the sons of Levi, Aaron and his sons and his priests, and he'll say it like three or four times just in the first chapter. So he narrows it down from here's the encampment, here's a tribe, here's a nation, and here's his group of people. And the job of this group of people is to be intercessors for the nation. Now all of the nation of Israel was responsible to worship God. And they were all responsible to have a relationship with God. But out of that group there were certain ones that had a passion and, and, and a gifting of intercession and a calling to be intercessors between the nation and between God. And so God pulled them together, God organized them, and God created uh, this group known as the Levites, and more specifically, uh, the sons of Aaron. As a matter of fact, the people, not only were the people supposed to put aside the, the sons of Aaron as intercessors, this group, but it was still the people's responsibility to focus on God. You see, they can't say, well, the Levites are in charge of the God stuff. You know, we'll let them do it. All the spiritual stuff will be the Levites. You just let us know if we need to do anything. No. All the people were supposed to focus on the tent so that whenever God's Shekinah glory moved, guess what they were supposed to do? They were supposed to move. So, I mean, they could be going about their day and they, oh, there goes the Lord. The Lord's moving. Honey, break camp. Kids, pull the stakes. Fold, you know, and, and next thing you know, they got to strike the tent and they got to get that thing out of there and get ready and organized to be on the move. Why are they moving? Because God's moving. Where are they moving? They don't know. Wherever God moves, they're moving there. So the people were not relieved from this responsibility. As a matter of fact, the very last portion of the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 40, verse 36, ends with these verses. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. Just like he tells the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, let us go on now in our faith. <clears throat> Notice, journeys, verse 36. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. So they don't journey that day. Verse 38. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and the fire was over it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel. Not just the Levites, all the house of Israel, in their sight, throughout all their, what? Journeys. You know, it's interesting, when God's Spirit started moving, when the, the shining glory was moving, all the people were to move. They were to all to get up, and they were all to, to take off, and, and Charleston Heston was helping them in this one. But, so he said, that looks familiar. But they were all to follow. God's moving. All of Israel, in the sight of Israel, you guys better be watching. When I'm moving, you need to be moving. You need to be following me. I found it interesting that when I read this, and I saw Journey mentioned in all three verses, I thought, wow. It was only three weeks ago, I said to Corey, I said, Corey, I just believe that this is kind of like our logo for what we're doing. And the logo that God gave me here is New Life, our journey together. I never realized that our is right in the middle of journey. And, and as I, I wrote, I was like, well, that's interesting. Because I was saying, New Life, our journey together, but I never wrote our, I just wrote New Life, 
journeyed together. And I go, oh, wait a minute, I didn't write our. And I said, oh, there it is right there. And then, and here, I see Israel, and it was all about what? Their journey together. And when God moved, they moved. When God stopped, they stopped. When God moved again, they moved again. And so we had developed what we call our 4D uh, ministry around this theme of our journey together. So <clears throat> that being said, the Lord has been teaching me through the tabernacle and the leadership here and the called out intercessors. However, here was the challenge that Israel encountered. They went from a mobile tabernacle to an immobile temple. You see, in 1 Kings, I know it's here somewhere, 1 Kings, chapter 6, verse 11. Then the word of the Lord came to Solomon, saying, Concerning this temple which you are building. Now let's pause for a moment. Do you remember the tabernacle? And God says, I want this guy and this guy, and here's how I want the dimensions. He'll lay out the, the whole ta tabernacle, and God sets forth the plans to build it. But now, here we are in a promised land. The people are no longer in their, tent, their tents, now they're in their houses. And David says, it's not right for us to live in our comfortable houses, and the Lord still abiding in a tent, a tabernacle. Let us build a house for him. Do you remember that in the Old Testament? And God wouldn't let David, because he was a man of blood, he was a man of war, but he let Solomon build the temple. And so Solomon comes and he starts to do the construction. But he says, concerning this temple you're building, by the way, notice the conditions. If you walk in my statutes, execute my judgments, keep all my commandments, and walk in them, then, here's a condition, I will perform my word with you, which I spoke to your father David. And here's the other condition. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not, what? Forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the temple and finished it. Now, when you think of the tabernacle in contrast to the temple, the temple was a more permanent structure. The houses that they lived in were now comfortable. Their houses were no longer mobile. The people became accustomed to God's Spirit in the, the temple, and Solomon built the temple, and this is artist's rendition of it, and in the temple the Shekinah glory was over the mercy seat. And so the Israel started looking at it like, well, the temple's there, and so God's there. They took God's Spirit for granted. As long as we got the temple, we got the Spirit of God. And as long as the Levites are in their ministry, we don't have to worry about it. We're in our comfortable homes. The problem was, the Scripture says that they were supposed to be lights unto the nations. Plural. They were supposed to be going out. They were no longer being mobile. Everything started going introspective. Everything started looking inside. And so much so, that when God's Spirit moved... They didn't move because they were comfortable. And they man, they got a house now and they got stakes down and they you know they, they they got a good life. It's interesting in Ezekiel chapter nine. After Israel oh let me let me say this about what we just read. It was a conditional covenant. Remember he said, If you do this and if you keep my commandments and if you walk in all my ways, then I will do this and then I will not forsake you. Remember that? Do you remember? We just read it. Remember? Okay. That's a conditional covenant. The Davidic covenant, the covenant with David, was a conditional covenant. The covenant with Moses was a conditional covenant. The covenant with you and I, known as the new covenant, is an unconditional covenant. Amen? Amen. So the other one said, if you do all these works, okay, I'll stay with you. If you walk in all my ways, okay, my spirit will abide with you. They, they didn't do any of that. Praise God, the new covenant keeps us out of it, and it's all about God. It's all about Jesus' finished work on that cross. And he says, all you have to do is believe. If you put your faith in my son, I'll take care of the covenant. Well, Israel apparently did not follow the Davidic covenant. And when you get to Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 3, it tells us this. Now the glory of the God of Israel, who had gone up from the cherubim, which is the mercy seat, 
where it had been to the threshold. Notice, it had been there. The idea, it's been there a long time. His spirit was over in the mercy seat for a long time, but it's moving. And now it went to the threshold of the temple. So here, the mercy seat, here's the Shekinah glory, the glory of God over the mercy seat. And all this time, it's been there, and on one day, it moved. And it went to, the, it didn't go from the Holy of Holies into the Holy Place. It went from the Holy of Holies through the Holy Place and stood at the doorway of the temple. It's almost like, okay, I'm going to pause here for a moment, see if anybody notices that I'm moving. Sadly, when you read just a couple chapters later, in chapter 11, and in verse 23, the glory keeps moving. It says, and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city, that's Jerusalem, and it stood on the mountain which is on the east side of the city. So do you see what happens here? God's Spirit is moving. God's Spirit was, was in Jerusalem, was in the temple. And then He moves to the threshold. And no one seems to notice. And then God's Spirit goes down the, the Kidron Valley and crosses the valley uh, going east from Jerusalem. And He goes all the way east from Jerusalem. He goes up another mountain which is directly east from Jerusalem. And what mountain is that? Mount of Olives. I heard that. So He goes over to the Mount of Olives. And then the Spirit of God from the Mount of Olives ascends back into glory. The Spirit of God moved. But the people were so comfortable in their homes, and they were so accustomed to having their little temple, and assuming that God was there, that they never even saw that God left. The Spirit of God moves out across the valley and ascends up into heaven, and you don't hear from God for 400 years. And yet... The people remained comfortable houses. And they went and they worshipped every Sabbath day in an empty temple. And they went through all the motions. Because they had religion, but they didn't have the Spirit of God. Remember the two components that are necessary? The major component is gone. What amazes me is when I think of that, and I think about the Spirit of God leaving, my mind automatically goes back to John instantaneously John 1 1 in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word what was God and then verse 14 says and the word became flesh and dwelt literally word is tabernacled amongst us and we beheld his glory his shining the glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth do you realize what happened he says so all of a sudden Jesus now comes in the form of a man, he pitches his tent in our encampment. We who dwell in our dark tents, right in the middle of Israel, now is the light of the world. Now is Jesus tabernacling. Now is the Shekinah glory present again. He's back. And do you remember how the Gospels ended? When they rejected him, he walked in the temple, they reject him, he kicks over the money tables again, and, and he goes from them singing praise, bless he who comes in the name of the Lord, to the next week crucifying him. And what does Jesus do? He goes to the cross, dies for your sin. He is buried and, paid and satisfies God's holy demands. But on the third day, our Savior rose from the dead. Amen? He is alive today. Amen? But that wasn't the end of the story. Then Jesus then leaves Jerusalem, crosses the Kidron Valley, and he goes over to a mountain east of Jerusalem. He ascends up to the mountain, and at the top of that Mount of Olives, he says to his disciples, I'm going, and here's what I want you to do while I'm gone. And he tells us, the Spirit of God is going to come on you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Interesting four quadrants. He says, now this is what I want you to do. And Jesus ascends back in. And that's why Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 2 says that the, later you, you read the glory of God will come and descend and, and uh, descend on the Mount of Olives. And Zechariah tells us, or Zephaniah tells us, that the Mount of Olives will then split. And in God's glory, Jesus Christ is going to come touch down, cross the Kidron Valley, and go right up the, the, to Jerusalem and go right through the Eastern Gate into the temple. Amen? And Jesus said, you will not see me again until I come in clouds of great glory. 
Amen? And the awesome part is, we're going to be with them. Yeah, baby. Isn't it? Hey, I hope you're not afraid of heights, because we're coming back with them. And we're going to leave glory, and we're going to come back when He touches down on the Mount of Olives. And He enters into Jerusalem. He will come with the hosts of heaven. But in the meanwhile, He says, but i got a job for you to do while I'm gone. And He says, I want you to realize that I came down as a tabernacle, and I tabernacled amongst you, so that I can make you a temple. You see, 1 Corinthians 6.19 tells us, that we are the temple. Or do you not know that your body, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God and you are not your own. Next verse will say, Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are His. Jesus became a tabernacle so that you and I might become the temple. And under the unconditional new covenant, Jesus says, I will never leave or forsake this temple of mine. I will be there and I will stay there. You see, friends, you and I are the temple, but you and I also dwell in a tabernacle, don't we? He says, the tabernacle of this flesh, as we sojourn, we are pilgrims in this barren land. This, this tent someday will be folded up and put away. Praise the Lord, we'll get a glorified one. Amen? looking forward to that but until that time you and I cannot be like Israel got where they became complacent with their temple and their building and their holy huddle and their us four and no more they had to say you know what no now we are the temple we are the temple of the Holy Spirit we have to be like the tabernacle and be mobile but we're like the temple and he will be permanently there And we have a job to do to mobilize ourselves and to get out there and do what God's called us to do and reach citizens for the kingdom. So, you say, so what does all that have to do with the vibrant church? As I close, I'm glad you asked. You see, while all of us are called to assemble together, all of us are called to keep our eyes on the Lord so He moves, we're moving with Him. While all of us are called to do that, some of us, amongst us, are gifted in this area of, of the, what I call the spiritual connection. Prophetic gifting. Prayer gifting. You, you, you amongst us have a passion for prayer. And one of the things that God is laying on my heart in these four areas, I will be focusing on, and Corey and I will work together, and we'll be working as a, a church body on these four areas, say, okay, we're going to focus on these areas. The first and foremost and primary focus, that team is going to be the prayer saturation or the intercessors. Prayer saturation is the objective. Intercessors are going to be the team. And I am going to be asking and calling out to those amongst you that are gifted in this area of prayer and have a passion for the presence of God to help the rest of us to, to draw all of our ministries to be saturated with prayer. Listen, I'm not talking about handing out a list on a Tuesday night sometime when you all meet together and just pray the list. No, I'm talking about we need prayer throughout our ministry. Just like when they have BBS teaching the gospel, there's folks that are praying. We need prayer through before our services, during our services, after our services. When we send teams out into our, our town, we need people that are praying for them while they're out. We need to make sure every ministry of our church is saturated somehow some way with prayer. And this team of intercessors that I want to call together, this team is going to be creative, and I'm going to ask God to ask them, and ask them to ask God to give them a mind, to say, how can we bring this to our body? Because some of you are going to be gifted in the gospel communication, and but you're going to need the prayer saturation. Some of you are going to be gifted in the body fortification, and teaching and helping, but you're going to need the prayer saturation. Some of you are going to be gifted in discipling and in spiritual maturation, but you're going to need the prayer saturation. Are you with me on all these Asians? And so this is, this is, I don't know, this is what God's been pouring out into my brain, what little room he has. And I believe that God is, is doing great things and is going to be doing great things through new life. I really believe it. I mean, I really, I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. I, I just hope the end of the world isn't tomorrow because we got a lot to do. 
right? Like, oh man, we can't, no, no end of the world tomorrow. But I'll tell you what, we, and myself in particular, I need to pull us together. We need to start mobilizing. We need to start fortifying. We need to start interceding for each other and in intercession for other people. And we need to start growing spiritually where we don't come and just den a pew and show up and fall in love with the building. Let me tell you something. We, I hope to God we outgrow this building. Someone says, no, we love this building. I do not love this building. I love the people that come to this building. I love the God that, that we worship in this building. Amen? But I'll tell you what, I want to see where we're just busting out of seams that Jesus said that my house might be filled. Is it filled yet? No. So let's keep at it. Amen? Oh yeah, we got work to do. If you don't want to go, that's fine. The bus is going this way and it's going to be fun. Don't get me going. I might start preaching again. We're supposed to be out by noon. All right. New hours. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We worship you. We know that we can be the weakest link in this cooperative effort. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. And I believe with all my heart that you are moving in my heart. I know you're moving in my heart. I know you're transforming me. I know you have great things for me, Lord. I know that. But I know it's not all about me. I know it's all about all of us as we focus on everything all about you. So, Lord, help all of us to get energized. Help all of us to to be excited about what your Spirit's doing. Help all of us to ask for you to give us guidance. Help all of us to be so focused that when you move, we move. Bless us, we ask. Anoint us, we pray. And meet with us in Jesus' holy name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Stand with me as we close. Ministry team, would you come, please? Maybe you're here and you need prayer today. There are folks that are going to be praying. I know we had some ministry earlier, but as we close out the service, the invitation's open. Maybe you're here and say, you know what? I'd like to know this Jesus that you're talking about. I know about him, but I don't know him personally. It's a great day to meet him. You come. Maybe God's speaking in other areas. Whatever your need is, you come. You come. We're only going to sing a brief moment, so don't hesitate. You come. God speaking today, let us pray for you. This morning's service, I felt very burdened that somebody's going in the other direction. And God's trying to call you back. He's saying, repent, come on, turn, come back, chase me. Stop chasing the world. Stop chasing the money. Stop chasing the things. Chase me. Maybe that's you today. Say, Lord, I want to chase you. Help me chase you. You come. God speaking in your heart today. You come. Comes. Others are coming. You come.